whilst attending the Bill Reunion 4 at the prestigious Cinema Museum in London, I had the great pleasure of meeting one of the very prestigious guests. He was one of the longest serving members of the Sunhill CID team and he's had a fascinating career. Ladies and gents, make some noise for the mighty Vic Gallucci. Oliver, you've given me a wonderful introduction. Just let me get off of my elephant and then we'll, I'll get a seat and we'll have a little chat, matey. When you were making the bill 20 years ago, could you have imagined that fans would be turning up all these years later to meet you guys and to still be celebrating the show? I'm going to be, I'm not being facetious here. Yes, I could have done because the, 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 the show had a fantastic formula. Nobody was a star. It was character-driven. And those characters were very strong in the early days. Cryer, Graham Cole, even uh, a bumbling extra in the background fondling filing cabinets and shuffling bits of paper about. But no, no, it had a, it was a great synergy in it. And that's, I think that's why it worked and people miss it. They could identify with it. So where were you in your life and career when you started the bill? Take us back. How did you get into the industry? and Did you have a love of, of film before you started working in film? Yes, I did. I used to be... I, I, uh, I always wanted to be a film star. So I got a job as a projectionist. How the heck that was going to turn me into... I don't know. No, I, I used to rewind film at the age of 13, 14 at the Kinema Kingston. So it developed from there. Then I became a permanent projections there at 15. The funny thing is uh, I started so long ago that my father had to write a letter to the manager to say that I could actually rewind, not watch, horror films. They, they had categories, you know, A's, U's and H. And uh, that's how long ago it was. Hence the cobwebs all over me, <laughs> Oliver. But, um, no, it, you know, then, then it developed from there. Of course, I've always loved film. It seems to have accepted me. I mean, I've done things, I've found money for movies, I've worked in the laboratory. The best job I ever had in the whole of the industry was when I worked at Technicolor down the bath road as a grader. I learnt so much there about movies and it does reflect whether you're looking for money for movies, whether you're an actor. It's that understanding of how film works. It's quite different now because it's electronic. But I hate to say this, but I must say it, the quality is equally as good, if not better nowadays. Mm. You know, the definition. Uh, that's speaking on a technical side. So uh, then I met up with um, a guy called Harry Robertson. Now, you won't know who Harry is, but um, you ever heard of Lord Rockingham, Hoots Man, There's a Moose Loose? Oh, wow, OK. That was Harry. He started <laughs> up Island Records. And he was, um, in fact, he was the only man I know with, with suits without pockets in them. He was a Scotchman, <laughs> but a great bloke. And we, he got the rights to a, a movie called um, Jane from the comic strip character. And they were hunting for money for this movie and all that. I came along and I found the money within two days. I mean, it sounds a lot easier than what it is. I've spent actually months looking for money for movies. So I got very interested in that. The director was Terry Marcel. We did things like Hulk Slayer. Who would work on the bill later on. Terry worked on the bill. Terry used to work for Blake Edwards. I used to work for Peter Sellers. Wow. So that's how the combination, all of us got together. 
if we ever had a row between the three of us, it didn't last long because we all needed to work with one another. <laughs> now, they formed a company called Marcel Robertson, then it developed from there. Then I met Ray Thompson. Ray used to be um, at the BBC as a writer, very an academic, who um, somehow got the rights to the Enid Blyton adventure series from the books. Wow. So I helped him find part of the funding for that I mean it's, I sound terribly blase but I'm certainly it was hard work I actually we actually got that from a company called Sanctuary which is the Iron Maiden rock group they made quite a bit of money and they wanted to diversify in other directions I mean forget this rock and roll shouting and screaming they were actually intelligent mm. guys and Bruce the lead singer was training to be a pilot for the airlines and he actually got his pilot's license so it developed from there then one thing led to another and um, uh, I've always been loosely connected or connected within the industry I still am and that's the way it goes but a lot of us the free life I mean you survive or you die mm. and I'm getting fed up dying so I want to keep surviving <laughs> So how did the opportunity to work in front of the camera on the bill come along? And well, I'll tell you how it happened. I'm in the office, Terry's office. He had an office in Barnes, bang opposite where poor old uh, Mark Boland died. Our office facing it. I don't know if that was an omen. I never drove back that way. I also drive the other way. Terry said, look, I'm going to go and work on a, on a TV show for a little while. Hold the office, blah, blah, blah. Then he rang me up and he said, listen, do you want to come and earn a few quid? I said, yes, Terry, I haven't eaten for a week. So he got me a job as an extra on the bill. So I go there. You know you, you know the system, you know the business. You, I'm a great believer when you're in the business. It's, it's two things that are important. You keep your mouth shut and your bowels open mm. in that order. Just get on with getting on, see all, say nothing. And it was a great show. I thought, oh, this is great. Got to know the producers, Pat Sands. Um, really nice lady. So because our office was very close... They used to ring me up when they wanted an extra to walk past or go to the... Co- I was always... I, mean, I actually specialised in uh, coffee machine making. <laughs> it, it, create, it was an art. <laughs> but no, no, I'm being uh, facetious now, but I shouldn't. But um, yeah, so, so it developed like that. So I come in day in, day out, day in, day out. Then they would say, well, look, we've got another episode this afternoon we're doing. Can you hang on? We can- it's too late to go. So that's how that developed. I mean, I must say I was very very lucky and to be able to do that for 14 years and not be discovered but what does uh, what does hurt me really I'm a little bit you know the bill was a great show it could still be a great show certain individuals whoever whatever came along and they ruined it I mean when we first went there we used to know Peter Grishin oh a lovely Peter lovely man brilliant director yeah good bloke and I always remember him saying to me, what are we going to do, Victor? Are we going to lower? Because I, because I was on the production side as well. He knew Terry. Right. I think Peter lived in Richmond. And um, he said, what are we going to do? We're going to, every week, twice a week, once a week, we're going to lower 10 million people into a police station. Mm. So whatever is going on, they pick it up. And, of course, it has to be written like that. Then after half hour or an hour, we take them out, leave them hungry, following day do it again and again so that's why a lot of the stories started picking up from one another they had put, did what they call strands you'd finish one part of the episode but there's always a strand left for the next part i mean i've got to say some of the writers on the show are brilliant absolutely brilliant i mean without them they are the 
they are the stokers, for want of a better word, of the of that of that show. The writers. I mean, without them writing, nobody says anything. No, and um, I mean, you had the likes of Barry Appleton and Christopher Russell and Edwin Pierce. So, in that era, in the nineties, were writing such. I mean, this, these were mini movies every week, weren't they? Yeah, they were, and also it was shot like a movie, which I liked. When I first went there, they originated with handheld cameras mm. on the shoulder, but there was a blooming cable behind them. Then they lost that. Then suddenly, this aerial appeared behind the camera system and all, where they could now go through windows, through the loo, behind the back window, and car chases going in cars, out of cars. Mm. That's how they were able to do it. But what you did is you retain the most important thing of all to be able to do that quality mm. of, of the action, mm. which is so important. And, and having worked in the labs, you can tell. It was a good show. There were a few episodes that, that sort of lingered a bit, but generally it would catch up. And how did it work? Because quite often you had, you had dialogue, you know. Yes. I don't like to use the term supporting artist of you. Well, no, I'm an extra. Basically, I'm an extra, you know. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Now, listen, if I was an actor, I'd have a headache. So I didn't want headaches. You see, I'm, I'm thinking of what I'm going to be doing in the office. Yeah. But I'm also earning some money. So what happens there is I'll be coming down the stairs. Chris Burnside yeah. come down. He said, I'm coming down the stairs here. Gallucci's here. Do I say anything to him? I said, I said, well, don't say nothing, Chris, because you know what these people are like. You know, it's all that sort of friendly, humble business. Yeah. Hoping that he would, because it means 25 quid on top. Nice. <laughs> so if he doesn't, I did. So you say, hello, Gov. And he had to respond, but it made the scenes work well. And, and, and the, they had a terrible slang title for extras called Noddies. And they just expected you to nod, but they dropped a clang with me. I don't nod, I talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, quite often you were paired up with Simon Rouse and you had dialogue on an observation with Simon Rouse yeah. or searching a flat and he'd actually engage with you. Oh, I don't yeah, know whether yeah. that was him pushing for that or whether they just saw something well no what it is really he Simon I want a word with you in my office (laughs) he didn't suffer fools so I thought well what I do I just listen having worked for Peter Sellers having worked on movies like Alien and Blade I know the game I know what it's all about and you see an actor like that and you've got to even as an extra standing sitting next to him you need to give something Mm. so you do it at that time, the bill was getting like 18 and a half million. Did it actually, did you ever get recognised? People say, well, wh- where do I know you from? Because, I mean, it, it was like being watched by a third of the population, you know. All the time. You can tell by people's looks. They look at you and you thought, hello, here we go. So I'm trying to think up of some lie, some story <laughs> to make things more interesting. Because, you know, you, uh, and uh, yeah, they did, yeah. Yeah, obviously they would do because you're talking about I mean, it's like EastEnders. Yeah. They knew Mike, my mate, Mike Levy, who used to play the Meltman on the on, on EastEnders and all that. And, and so, so they would. But I didn't do it for that, obviously. Not, but you will get recognised. The bill, I think, everything and everybody was utilised on the bill as much as possible, which is which is how you want it. But there were some good directors, good producers. I mean, perfect example of what a good producer is. Cause it's not just. Uh, a producer is involved with the writing, with the whole setup, the whole structure of an episode. Mm. People think a producer sits there with a cigar in their mouth or whatever. They don't. Mm. Some do, by name. I mean, a few... Um, I think the Americans and Canadians started this up. If you look at some of their movies, co-producer, 
assistant to the producer, producer's assistant. And other. So you know why they do that, don't you? Why is that? To save money. If you give somebody an important title, you don't have to give them good money. <laughs> but we've done it on our films, on our movies. Obviously, that doesn't apply to everybody, but that's another reason why you will see that. And, and everybody wants to be a producer, but they don't know... I mean, I, rem- I know what it's like looking for money and looking for part funding on my push bike, seriously, going round um, Frinsby Circus, Frinsby Square, all round that way, looking where all the investors are, just looking for companies as a hobby. My girlfriend and I, we used to just cycle round, just look, get taking notes of companies on Monday morning, come back to the office, find out who they are, who own them. That's what you do. And, I mean, there is no other way of doing it. Yes, there is a... You, you have the standard... Funders like sort of Coots Media, Barclays Media, which are in Soho Square. But generally, it, they, a lot of movies and a lot of things are made on a pari pursue or pari pursue meaning you put 40% in, I'll put 60% in. Nobody actually wants to take the whole of the risk. Right. Uh, but also with that comes another story. I mean, I hope you're not going to run out of tape. It's gold dust, it's also, great. Also, what happens is, is you have to... What a lot of people don't understand is yeah, it's all real getting money for a movie. It's not just getting money and people say, I've got a script. I said, yes, so have I. I've got thousands of them. You need to come with a package. An artist, a director, part funding, a PM production manager that's worked on big movers that can see the potential in it, that can actually act as a referee for you to produce to say, we can make this gov at a certain price. So much. But if you know the business, that's purely the conformist way you, you, you do it. Uh, you know, you see young guys making movers, and it's great, great stuff. But the reality of it is it isn't easy. Not easy at all. I mean, even on the bill, when... Um, when Thames lost the franchise, they had people out there selling it to Australia and New Zealand. But at that time, having worked in New Zealand on a TV series, um, they would have only got flompants per episode. Mm. It wasn't a big because only five million people there, and I think maybe two, two or three million, if you're lucky, had TV sets. Maybe a hundred thousand of them would just watch the bill. You know, yeah. it's a small. I mean. More people come into London than what that was at that time. Mm. Obviously, it's changed now. Um, but what I do like about the industry now, it's become more. I mean, this is a bad time what with all this Brexit, but it's become more continental. It's not just American. And the Germans, the Italians, the French know how to make great movies. So do the British. There are brilliant technicians in all countries. I mean, if you have a look at some of the some obscure um, uh, Hungarian films, Russian films made by independent producers, brilliant, brilliant stuff. But they are actually backed by their governments. What I'm interested in, I suppose every, everyone has that kind of dream project. Do you have a dream project that you'd still love to make that's still high on top of the list? Or Yes, I do. I'd like to make a musical. Wow. In Latin, of the Mass. Wow. The Catholic Mass. Uh, they, you know, they, they do a musical version at 11 o'clock and every service. But I'd like to do a big cinematic visual piece like that. Maybe I'm jumping the gun slightly, but I think you can see what I mean. It's, it can be quite... Have you, have you been to the Sistine Chapel in, in Rome? No. Well, absolutely brilliant. It's like a big movie. It's a concert. 
But the thing is, you don't pay, you just put a bit of money in the collection plate. Well, I don't, I take money out. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, you know, that's, that, that's the thing. But there are a couple of other projects that I'm interested in. Mm. What I'd love to do, I'd love to be involved in regenerating the bill. Yeah. It can be done, not in the form that, it's, that it was in, mm. but there can be uh, an essence of the bill there because you've still got some of the actors there that would be great even at their old age if you yeah. know what I mean yeah I mean I wouldn't want to be in it but I would just want to be involved in, in doing it and it, it could happen but like everything else um, how far would you be allowed to go because it, it's obviously it's owned by somebody and I think it's Fremantle I'm not yes. sure yeah well no they were a distributor for it I think but yeah and, you, and you're dealing with um uh, you know, I can understand it's their their property, and they want to look after it, and they want to make sure if anybody does li- license it, mm. it's done correctly. Yeah, you know, as, as you're aware. An idea I've heard is doing it like Endeavour, and actually going back maybe to like the early days of Burnside. You know, but but then I think it's always a risk of recasting those legends. To me, no, no. I tell you what needs to be done. Mm. I think this is sorry. No, it's great. What needs to be done is we need to get a lot of the actors together as they are now. Yeah. Um, are they still in the, the world of policing, mm. security? Are they disgruntled now shoplifters? Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Mm. And are they now, is their, is their job even more dangerous? I just, a, this is a bad example, I Burnside blustering away this never even happened to me when I was uh, you know when I was in London doing this that and the other with all those toughies there and this that and, and so on but what, what's happened is because there's a uh, an element of people living in this country now they are quite dangerous yeah I think there's a there's an angle there mm. but the most important thing of all is it has to be character driven yes um, the perfect example to lead it would be Graham Graham Cole yeah you know and, and uh, maybe Chris Ellison but I believe now, I don't know if he's still acting, but... Yeah, he's involved with Hereford Films and they're, he's co-producing some of their... Um, they've got a trilogy of movies. The, the third one's coming up next. Oh, really? Yeah. Are these short pictures or yeah, feature? feature film. And so he's done... They did... Um, they still kill the old way and they still steal the old way. And the next one's They Still Die the Old Way. And ah. it's Chris Ellison, it's Ian Ogilvy, oh, yeah, Glover, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, some good... Good Stephen Burkhoff did one, I think. So yeah, he's was, a good actor, Stephen Burkhoff. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're very nicely made. It's a guy called Jonathan Softcott is the producer, and he's... Yeah. I think he works in the city, you know, yes, so he yes, knows where to find the, 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 yeah, the, the cash. Fun. It's not just... Yeah, but he also needs to know what to do with it, because you can... As I said to you before, you, you get the baker can make the best bread in the world... But if he's got, I won't swear this time, <laughs> but if he's got nowhere to sell it, he's snookered. Yeah. What, what, one of the things I've found on the internet, which I love, is that when, when you were, I suppose, in the height of your time on the bill, that you, you were a special guest on the Big Breakfast. Yes. <laughs> I mean, that must have been wild to go and do that. Um, well, actually, that actually happened all of a sudden, about 20 past five. There's a long, uh, how shall we put it, backstory to all this stuff. You know, but um, that happened about 20 past five. We want you to go on the big breakfast. What? <laughs> Tomorrow morning, the car will pick you up at 5 30. Um, who? Oh, Johnny, um, Johnny, Johnny Vaughan, yeah. And um, I thought, oh, cry, he's going to take the mickey out of me. And he did, and he did it very well. But um, 
Yeah, that was good. You're thinking on your feet there all the time. But he was quite easy because he was actually feeding me. We had no time for rehearsals. Um, but it was a little bit of fun. It would have been nice had it have been had been able to stop, redo a couple of things. But of course, they just wanted that naturalistic, um, how shall I put it, documented look look about it. Yeah. Who were some of your best pals when you were working on on the bill? Who did you enjoy hanging out with? Actors, technicians, extras. Who, who... Well, we didn't actually hang out with one another. I mean, one of my best mates at one time was was uh, uh, Jeff Stewart. Ah, brilliant. Reg Ollis. Fantastic actor. Um, I don't know. We fell out. Don't ask me why we fell out. I'm still trying to work out why. But he was he was okay. He was a good guy, good actor, knew his stuff. Yeah. Um, Jeff was Jeff. Mm. And uh, Reg Hollis, what a character that was. Oh, it, it worked a treat, yeah. I mean, even Chris Burnside, even Simon Rouse and um, uh, Eric yeah. Cryer. Yeah. Uh, you would know if they brought in a new artist, if it didn't work. Mm. Within an episode, you knew it, they weren't going to gel. When you look back, what makes you happiest the most? When you think of those 14 years, what, what's... What's the nicest feeling when you when you look back? Is it the people? Is it the work? Is it the events that surrounded it? Well, the money in the bank. <laughs> no, it's just I I, I want to use a, a great honour, but maybe that's the wrong word. Maybe that's a bit strong because listen, I was very lucky. There's not many people do what I do. There's not many people in the Guinness Book of Records through sheer volume of working, um, and I, it just. It was just a great show, but it wasn't easy in the sense there were long hours, long hours. Um, uh, they just didn't happen. And, and if you were bouncing, what they call bouncing, that means you go from, you start at seven in the morning, you're doing one episode at CID for till 11. Then you'll go from there downstairs, you do a corridor work in another episode. Then at 5.30, we're going out on location to do a night shoot or a night shot. Uh, which is fine, you know, but I mean, you used to get extra money for that. But you then then we want you there at seven o'clock the following morning. Uh, I mean, yeah, what I, I could be digging ditches in, in the road. Mm. Um, I wish I were sometimes, but um, <laughs> no, seriously, uh, you know, it, it, it just doesn't happen. I'd like to see um, a genuine documentary made of the making of a TV series, mm. but the, the real nitty gritty. They show you the artists, they show you, they always show you the camera and the usual old shot of, of the first assistant saying, everybody quiet, blah. Yeah. No, you need to see what's happening in the production offices, yeah. why things are happening in front of the camera. You need to see the wardrobe getting ready for the following day. You need to see the wardrobe lady or guy moaning that the artist is, is getting his, the costume dirty and he needs that first thing tomorrow morning, there's no time to clean it. And, there's all those different things that go on. You wouldn't dream. Maybe they're terribly uninterested, but they might be interested. Were you in the documentary of Elstree 76 covering Star Wars? No, I wasn't. No, but I was I was, um, I was. was one of the original Stormtroopers, as, as I'm sure you may know. I got a call from Central Castings, and they said, we have a new film out called Star Wars. Why don't you go to Bray Studios for a fitting? I thought, oh, because I live in, you know, in the Kingston area. So Bray, for me, was great. It's near Windsor. So we go there. They said, but it's not going to be made there. It's going to be made at Elstree. 
So it was just a picture called Star Wars. So I got to Bray and, and there was all these oddball-looking costumes made of plastic and glass-fibre helmets and a very tetchy wardrobe bloke. I thought, we're going to have trouble here. <laughs> and um, so so that's... He said, what do you want to be? I said, oh, I'll be one of those, which is a stormtrooper. So he said, hey, but what I didn't know, the, when you were a stormtrooper, the first bit of costume you put on was a massive body stocking. In other words, all you could see was through your eyes. The rest of you was completely... Because because of the way it was built up, all the plastic, there's no use seeing flesh underneath that. And I think they were always going to be a bit of a mystery, the stormtroopers. Nobody was ever going to see whether they were human or what. But, of course, they broke away from that slightly. So I get my costume all fitted out. And... You know, after you wore that costume for about a day, you sounded like a choir boy <laughs> because the, the plastic used to bite right into your groin. Then they said, run, you see. So I thought, oh, Christ. So you, you work ways out on how you're going to run so that if you should fall, right, you don't break anything, if you know what I mean. And um, I always used to put a stra- half a straw in my mouth because when they put the original cost, the original helmets, when you put them on, they used to put shoulder, plastic shoulder pads on you. You had to turn your head to the left. They used to click the helmet on. You used to turn your head. Now you've had it. Well, you're locked in. You're locked in. Whoa. And, you have to, and, and that's why it was always best to keep in with the wardrobe guy, because if you needed to have it off at some point, I mean, I saw a lot of extras lying on the floor, kicking at the air like, like wasps that have been stuck. It's claustrophobic. So I thought, well, I need the money. So I carried... But in actual fact, it turned out well. So I had at least... I worked on the first two and a half pictures on that. Wow. Yeah. And it was a long, it's a long, long shot. I used to go from Kingston to Elstree every day. Uh, the money was brilliant at that time. But it's... I mean, I see a lot of people at sign-ins. I don't think they were even born. But right. somehow they are now stormtroopers. And you think, well, hang on, where were you? Yeah. Um, where were you? And all, and, and suddenly they may have had a, a day's work on it and they've picked up on it, you see. Right. Um, but I can, I can more or less say at least 25 people I work with, we were continuously working on it. Because those costumes, they didn't want to fit you out again. Well, cool. So that's how that came about. Um, then I thought, well, this is okay. Then Terry, the director, I knew Terry when he was a second assistant at Palmer. He said, listen, boy, he said, I'm going to make a movie. I said, oh, yeah. And uh, it's called, what's it called now? Why Not Stay for Breakfast? Gemma Craven, Jules Shakiras. He said, I've got the money from uh, forgot the, the guy who owned the, the movie. So he said, um, come and give me a hand. You see, And it was as Heath Robinson as that. He said, but... We're going to shoot it in 35mm and Pinewood actually gave him the stage and the sets. I don't know what deal he did with them. Then it it came and it went, but it was work. Then he said, I'm going to do another picture called um, There Goes the Bride. Phil Silvers. Well, he had a small part in it and uh, Sylvia Sims. And it was, uh, you know, they were what they were because we, we had no money. And uh, then he said, Harry... He introduced me to his partner, Harry Robertson. He said, Harry, we're looking to get the rights to Jane, the comic strip character in the Daily Mirror newspaper. 
So I quickly flipped. I said, but Jane loses her clothes. He said, yes, I know she does. I said, well, let's get on with making it. <laughs> so they found um, a girl called Kirsten Hughes, lovely girl, uh, completely unknown. And um, at that time, Sam Jones had just been three years down the line after making oh, Flash, Flash Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. Nice boy, Sam. Um, and uh, they got him in as Jack, the hero. And um, then they said, we've got to find the money. So um, that's how that started off like that. So I went, I actually went to Coots Media and saw one of the, the, the main film finances. They said, look, this is what I want to do. Just give me some... And they were very, very good. They gave me advice. I'm going back now, easy, 30, 40 years. He gave me... An, he, he pointed me. Now... You can either accept that point in, or you, you won't know what to do. So as luck would have it, I only read the best newspapers. I was reading the Sun newspaper, and in it there was a guy with his, with his arm around these dolly girls and a horse. And he was a big gambler. I won't name his name. He made his fortune on Japanese securities in the 80s at that time. And I thought, this could be the bloke. So, by a fluke, I went to Finchby Circus, where his company was, Storavan Corporation, and I asked to speak to him. Um, a very burly security guard came out. He didn't speak with his mouth. He spoke with his nostrils. So, I stepped back, and he said, what do you want? And I said, well, look, let me speak to his PA, blah, blah, blah. I had a, luckily, I had a script with me, and who I was, and a calling card. Within three days, he said, he'd back the movie. Wow. So, within... Six weeks, we were off to Mauritius, making a move. Yeah, but that was a condition that we needed to utilise every dollar he gave us. Right. So, consequently, we we converted those dollars into RAN. So, hence making it in Mauritius, because that's the nearest country to South Africa. But, like everything else, stupid things happen. We were building the sets. And I remember, never forget, Mike Pickwell, very good designer in movies and things. He said, we've had to stop shooting. We've had to stop building the sets. And they, we wondered why. He'd run out of nails. What, what, what we didn't know, there are no nails in Mauritius. <laughs> so we had to ship nails in to build the set from South Africa. But that's, that's just one of the stories. I mean, yeah. listen, I'm telling you something that's happening every day in movies. It's, mm. it, it's not an exact science, which is good. Because yeah. it allows you to improvise. I mean, people call you... Trev. Trev, totally reliable. Is it Vectra and Extra or something like that? Extra Veteran? Yeah, yeah, I don't mind. People, yeah. it better being called some of the names I get called. <laughs> or is DC Tom Baker? Yes, yeah, well, that's it. Now, that was a fluke because there was a lovely producer, she died now, called Pat Sands. And we were doing a scene, and, uh, and she said, Have you got a, um, a, stage, a, a stage name? They used to say. I said, Well, no, I haven't, Pat. She said, well, I can't have this artist just saying, uh, you know, all right, or whatever, or whatever. She said, uh, um, I said, well, what about Tom Baker? Why I thought of that, I don't know. That's it, Tom Baker. So it was none that. I'm going back 25, 30 years now. And it's stuck. Yeah. And that's it's as simple as that. You know, a lot of the, the bill was, because of the handheld cameras, a lot of the shots were improvised. Right. You try them one way, how you intended to do it, doesn't work. And how, how how pleased are you? I mean, to to be coming to events, to still meet my fans, and the fact that the Bill still has this audience. How pleased are you that all these years later you're still? I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, I, I love anything like that. We're in a great place, the Cinema Museum in Kensington. I strongly recommend people come along here and 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 
have a look at the place. Ring up first, of course. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely fascinating if you love movies and anything to do with movies, which I do. And how great that Stuart and Jan are keeping the fans with something new. Absolutely, and they are keeping it going with the various events they do. Um, and they're good quality events as well, but unique. That is important, yeah. One thing we haven't talked about is your classic car show. Yes. We, we, tell us about that, because that's something you're regularly involved with. Well, I, uh, I obviously like classic cars. Uh, I, used to have some, I used to have a Ferrari Dino and a lot. When I had money and I was going out with women. <laughs> now I'm going out with women, but I don't have a car. But, uh, no, that's how that developed like that. And, and I like classic car shows. So I thought, well, I, I want to do a good one. So I got hold of a charity called Childline, which are at that place, that time, based in Islington. I said, can I do a, a classic car show for you? And they said, yeah. I said, I want to do it in London's Covent Garden. It's the first time we ever did it there. After a lot of paraphernalia and meeting this guy, that guy, you know, and, and all that, we, we actually did a... Three shows, actually, in London's Covent Garden. It was just, I bought 150, 300 cars. Wow. Then it developed. That's how that... But the Isle of Wight show is absolutely brilliant. It's, um, I, this year I brought over around about 20,000 people. Wow. Yeah, well, it's a good, I'm very good at what I do. It's a good show. Yeah. It, it's loosely connected with theatrics because I try and do it like a movie. I don't want... For one, I don't want to be lavatory, but I don't, I don't want a, a testicle-scratching, tyre-kicking show. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You look mm. at it, you, ha- you see them, hands behind their back, kicking the tyre and carrying and holding court, then walking to the next one and kick the other tyre. I wish those bloody cars could kick back, but they yeah. don't. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll make mine different. I'm going to have a mini Morris Minor, a Lamborghini, a Ford Escort. What I've done is I've built the show up from 250 cars over an 18-year period to round about just well over a thousand cars what i was most insistent was like a movie the locations had to be right Mm. and i had to fight hammer and tong to the first it's a two-day event the first show is in newport quay a lovely place on the isle of Wight, and then the day after it's all along the right esplanade it's absolutely spectacular but i must say it's not just me i have a great team um behind me or, or with me that work with me. Some of them come, some of them go, but that's so important to give credit to them. Mm. Um, I'll just give you one example. Whitelink, Isle of White Ferries. Absolutely brilliant. Obviously, they're doing it as a business as well, but they do a heck of a lot. The Isle of White Council, Rydetown Council, um, Finch Insurance Group, There's so many different... You do it like a movie, but you've got to get quality people behind you mm. it has to be right it takes me about eight months to a year to set up in fact i'm setting the 2020 show up the 12th and 13th of september 2020 and what's your final message to fans of the build fans of dc tom baker who'll be absolutely delighted well i just want to thank everybody very much you know as i said it's it's a great show great people we i say we miss it i miss it and i'm sure if i miss it many other people miss it and I must say this, I think towards the end it was handled very badly. Mm. It could still be running. Yeah. In fact, I know it could because I know a lot of people in the industry. Yeah. But we carry on. One day it will come back. We'll walk the beat again. <laughs> Legend. Vic Gallucci, thank you, sir. That was amazing. Okay,
brilliant. <laughs> Andrew Mason's just walked in. This is a good cameo. Come on in. How are you? How wonderful to meet you. It's fantastic to meet you. <laughs> Thank you for all your support. That was a pleasure. Remember this lovely man, Vic Lucci. <laughs> <laughs> huge thanks to Vic for being such a gentleman and fantastic company I really enjoyed meeting him he was also um, very kind to me during my first Bill reunion event and being on stage I, I felt rather in awe of everyone who was around me and uh, bless him he was in my corner uh, saying nice things being very supportive and just a really really nice guy I'm really grateful to Vic I'm also very grateful to Stuart and Jen Morris for inviting me to the Bill Reunion 4, for having me as a guest and for facilitating that chat with Vic uh, before the show. And how lovely to hear Andrea Mason coming in the room, just an absolutely lovely lady. The Bill Reunion 4 was fantastic and I have no doubt that Bill Reunion 5 is going to be even bigger and better. So, if you haven't booked your tickets yet, you can do so on billetto.co.uk. Check out Misty Moon Events on Facebook and you'll get all the details, all the announcement for upcoming guests. It's going to be a good one. This is John Isles. And you've been listening to The Bill Podcast, with special thanks to Vic Gallucci, produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Paul Dunn and Alex Mockler. Executive produced by Joseph Beaver, Daniel Christopher, Luke Hegarty, Benjamin Hughes, Robert Jennings, Edward Kellett, Stuart and Jen Morris, Justin Pitt... Tom Sherrington, Patrick Stratford, and Sarah Went. Brought to you in association with Misty Moon Events. If you're looking for Christmas present ideas, I can highly recommend Once Upon a Time There Was a Piece of Wood, a new musical audiobook telling the story of Carlo Collodi's Pinocchio. Our version is faithful to the original story. It's darker and quite sinister in places, but don't worry there's still a happy ending. Featuring the beautiful original score on clarinet by the fantastic internationally renowned Sarah Watts, all the characters are voiced by me, as you've never heard me before. The CD's out now and can be ordered from pinocchio-cd.com where you, yes you, can get 10% off exclusively by using the discount code Bill Podcast, all one word in capitals. May I take this chance to wish you all a very Merry Christmas, and I wish you a happy and prosperous New Year.